Hi, everybody. Welcome back to a new episode of The Fundamentalists. We're back in action. Pete has finally returned from Belfast to Ireland, and he has uh, a show and tell that we're going to be starting with, which Ooh. if you would like to see the video version, you can go to youtube.com slash Elliot Morgan. Otherwise, we'll just describe it as best we can so that if you're driving in traffic right now, you can be filled with wonderful imagery. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I want to start off by saying I was away for a month in Belfast, and when I got back, I had a whole pile of crap letters like uh, you know junk stuff yeah and then in the midst of it there was this poster sized you know one of those rules oh, yeah yeah and i opened it up and there were three beautiful oh nice pieces that i'm going to show also uh, the letters i write you were not crap i miss you and it's my way of <laughs> yeah. keeping in touch please stop yeah no um this this is a was a very particularly lovely letter from katie so i want to say thank you katie who sent me uh, i don't know if i'll be able to show these or not it definitely is very um, intricate. Yeah, it's beautiful. Very kind of, oh, I should be close to the microphone. Very kind of existentially melancholic. So you've got these characters, these figures who are all yeah. very isolated. One in an urban scene. This is, I love this one. It's kind of an urban scene of kind of a closing down. Let me see. Point it over here. Yeah, yeah that's cool. Yeah, but kind of, so there's, there is, an interestingly, Katie said about how over COVID, like a lot of us, um, it's quite an isolating time. And I think in your art, you captured a lot of that existential kind of isolation, but sending me those pieces as a thank you for what we do. That's very beautiful. So thank you. I just wanted to say very much appreciated that. And I felt bad that they may have been sitting for a month before I yeah. saw them. That's so, okay. So now you're going to get a flood of new things. Is that right? You're yeah. going to, now that we've mentioned it, you're, you're okay. going to, it's going to be like Christmas for you. So yeah, you can give us gifts. We will take I love gifts. money and gifts and yes. alcohol. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and if it's just a gift, we'll just exchange it for money. So it's fine. Thank yep. you. Uh, how was I? We'll, we'll, oh. we'll dive into the subject in a second, but a little preview. We're going to be talking about Kierkegaard comedy, um, religious mentality, comedic mentality, a little bit of that, I'm mm -hmm. assuming. Ah, uh, yeah, all the above. Very fun. It's going to be yeah, very... It's going to be good. We're going to be a little philosophical. Old school. Old school fundamentalists. Whoa. Yeah. Right. You know? Let's see how it goes. But yeah. uh, first, how was... Uh, had a blast. So, because I, ha I haven't really been home a lot because of the obvious reasons. I was only going to go home for two weeks to do my festival, which yes. I loved. Lots of people who watched the fundamentals. Lots of people looking for you. Oh, uh, yeah. next time, next time. So, yeah. so it was a younger crowd. So it, there were a lot of people in their 20s who came out and who'd either come to it because they listened to this podcast or other podcasts that I've been on. So did the festival. It was a really great energy of some people who'd been coming for years, some people for the first time. Cool. Really had a blast. Richard Boothby was brilliant. Jameson Webster was fantastic. Um, Padraig Tuma was brilliant, who I work with a lot. Cool. Really brilliant uh, poet. Uh, so we had a fantastic time. And then just hanging out with friends and family, I had a blast. So I kept on Lovely. postponing coming home. Yes. I did miss you. I Honestly, I missed you a lot. It's you okay. were the main uh, person I missed. It's okay. You and Daniel, but Daniel's moved to Mexico. Ooh. Uh, our friend Daniel uh, is... Off in Mexico. Off to Mexico City. And I think he's moving there. You know, we go where the spirit leads us. Exactly. Yes, he does. He is a very free spirit. Good for him. Yeah. I so, hope he's enjoying it. Um, well, it, it, there is some, it, there's not many things better than meeting, I think, somebody who uh, listens to the podcast. It's such a fun. It feels so nice. So yeah. thank you guys Well, yeah, much. I was kind of, so you kind of forget people listen to this. Yeah, You're still really chatting do. and then you go, oh, people actually tune in. So even though we don't do it that often. Yeah. But <laughs> our our uh, 
our consistency is made up for by uh, high-quality episodes. Of course. Like today. Today is going to be a high-quality episode. Let's dive yeah. in, Pete. Tell me yeah. about this um, soaring Kierkegaard. Yeah. Okay. Well, this, the reason why I thought of this topic was because I was around at Elliot's house two nights ago. We were lovely. We Thank had you. some drinks, hung out. Uh, Goose did Goose. great. Man, I eat, like I do consider myself like a St. Francis of Assisi with animals. I do think I get on with animals. What? Yeah. A who? A Saint, who? St. Francis Assisi? Of Assisi? Of Assisi? Do you not know St. Francis of Assisi? I've heard that before, but I, the fact that you could rattle it off so perfectly oh, yeah. is really impressive. Who, who, what did the oh, uh, patron well, saint of animals? I think he might be the patron saint of animals because because you will see images of him with animals, and he, he supposedly mythologically had cool. a very you know good way with animals. Yep. I mean, I could be completely wrong about that, but I think that's correct. So you got a little um, bit of that. Yeah. So I I can I like I pride myself, but everyone likes to think they're like that. But goose, I mean, can I? I say this, but I don't want to embarrass him. But like, he can be a little bit edgy. Well, she, she's maybe that's oh, why so right she gets edgy because I miss miss what do you call it? Misprune, using misgendering. Shit, that's what I've been doing wrong. Yep, that's it. I feel bad. So, but she can be a little bit edgy. She can be a little edgy. She gets, she's got a little bit of a. Um, but when I'm around, you're the one who's edgy. Not Goose is fine, and you're the one going, "Oh, Goose, it's all okay." And so, uh, yeah, you're yeah. the one I'm worried about. Well, I'm only like that because you're there. Yeah. Do you think Goose is going to attack me? Um, <laughs> well, yeah, he, she could. Oh, I did. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, she, she definitely. We're going to get cancelled. She yeah. just has a. She's just a very special dog. She's yeah. just a very unique dog where you can't do things that you could kind of normally that you would expect to do. Yeah around a dog but it is there's a few funny things like i, I do love her yeah. and, and, and she does love you i think she's getting there yeah so we're good. i get on very well there's a few things like one of the fun things that she does is you do tell her to do things a lot and she just doesn't do them nah. but i love the fact that you still you don't give up no you like you'll go go to your bed and literally goose will not do anything you go go to your bed just, we'll just stand yeah, there go, all right fine but, but you keep but you keep trying to because tell her to do things she does know <laughs> and she and because when grace is out of town uh, which she is now, it's like it, Goose and I have borderline like a human relationship yeah. where I can be like, you got to go over there, go over there. And it's like, I say it once and she's like, all right, I got it. But when you're over there, uh, there's a little bit of like, I'm going to do whatever I want and I need to protect you. And I need to protect, no, yeah. No. And I got to <laughs> be, you know, on guard. And, uh, but yeah, she's, she's getting used to it. She's just not, she doesn't get a lot of friends over very often. Mm -hmm. so but I haven't, nice. I haven't seen her like, she's, you know, I haven't seen this because you said like she can snap. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen her snap yet. Yes, that's true. Yeah. I'm hoping to keep it that way. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah it's good stuff. I mean, it's just, just, you know, in the snap, you can't make, like, kissy noises. She hates oh, that. Yeah. And so it's stuff that even I have to, like, remind myself. Like, oh, yeah, I can't do that because she'll just, you see the trigger go off. And you go, okay, okay, you know, calm down. Don't, you know, don't get it twisted. Yeah. Um, yeah she's, uh, she's a beautiful dog. And then in the morning, she comes up in the bed, and she just literally, like, puts just her entire big bulldog body on me and like starts just getting directly in my face at like six thirty in the morning. And it's annoying and cute at the same time. Yeah. So it's very nice. Yeah. Well, and I, th that was a derailment, but I was there at your house. Oh yes. Sorry. With Goose. No, yeah, it was my fault. But, and we got talking about, uh, various things, including, um, the idea of synchronicity mm -hmm. and, and, and we talked about that. And, and then we got on to comedy and I was talking about Kierkegaard and I thought that you would like, his angle and what comedy is because you're you know you're working on a well 
you are you you're working on a on a on an hour long piece are you or kind of it's in the back of your mind back of my mind it's, back it of your exists mind. there i'd like to do a third comedy hour just to sort of have it just yeah. to do it but it, it'll be year probably years yeah. down the road but yeah working on other stuff in the meantime but yeah 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 it's, but, uh, it's yeah. rattling around in the back like, but, okay. uh, yeah but i was thinking that in terms of what you're wanting to do kierkegaard is kind of uh, reflections on comedy you would like I think you would like it cool and uh, want to steer you in the right direction you know get you into something good to the hilar- most <laughs> hilarious people <laughs> yes uh, well, they, they do say Kierkegaard was the funniest philosopher he ever lived I was not saying much but he, he's very comedic writing yeah. sometimes yeah I, uh, I have a pair of socks with his face on it that that's I really right like. oh yeah so very nice I, that's as comedic as I've seen but what are his ideas on comedy okay yeah brilliant so he kind of writes about it in a few places, but primarily in a book called Concluding Unscientific Postscripts to the Philosophical Fragments. Catchy. Catchy, which, by the way, is an ironic book. So Kierkegaard it was brilliant because he did do f- comedic things um, with writing. So, for example, a postscript is supposed to be very small. When you write a postscript to something, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a little tiny extra. So this is the postscript to a book that he wrote. And the postscript is five times bigger than the than the philosophical fragments. So you know, calling it oh, this is just the postscript to that book, and yet it's, it's a like little a tomb, you know, a little. So he does these funny things, and he writes in pseudonyms. So this is a yes. guy called Johannes Climacus, I think is yeah, who writes basically this. And Soren Kierkegaard is the editor of the book. Okay. Um, and oh, by the way, so I think he'd even sometimes publish two books on the same day that would take different positions on something. So he, like, he would do these nice. really interesting things. That's with, fun. There's yeah. nothing not fun about yeah, that. Yeah, so he, he had a comedic, ironic, humorous way about yeah. his writing. And in the concluding unscientific postscript, he uh, is basically articulating what is comedy. He thinks that there's a comedic dimension to reality itself. Mm-hmm. There's a and he connects it with Christianity, which we may or may not get into. But um, basically, he argues. So I'll, I'll put out a few things, and then we'll take it from yeah, there. Hit it. Um, he argues that that comedy, and you can break comedy into subgenres of like what he calls humor and irony. But comedy works by a contradiction, some sort of asymmetry, mm-hmm. some sort of thing that like is not the norm. That kind of that surprises you that you never saw coming. So comedy works with that, and he talks about how, you know, something's comedic. It, it's not comedic. If someone's wears crazy clothes all the time, you know, they wear crazy clothes all the time. That might be comedic within society. Everyone looks, everyone dresses a certain mm-hmm. way. It's one person doesn't. But what's comedic for that person is if they dress up one day in a suit and tie. Because yeah. comedic is it's not you're not used to it. The norm is that they dress in a crazy way. But now they dress in a normal yeah. way. Or if someone who dresses normally goes to a wedding dressed as a clown, there's something comedic about that. Just visually comedic that in a in an environment where the norm is everybody dresses in suits. De- decentering, destabilizing, yeah. off. Yeah. Yes. Now, what's interesting here is Kierkegaard says, well, some people, if you turn up at a wedding like that, some people will not find it pleasurable. They'll find it annoying, right? And that's what tragedy is. So tragedy for Kierkegaard is when you suffer contradiction when there are contradictions that happen and yeah you basically find them troubling they they cause you suffering and comedy is when you take pleasure in the contradictions you take a certain enjoyment yeah. from the the surprise the novelty the 
whatever. But then he says, when he gets to kind of the major point, is he says that there's something inherently comedic or, and inher or inherently tragic about life. Uh, and what he means by that is he says that he talks about it's important to be earnest, right? Talk, and to be earnest is to give yourself over to something. Maybe it's serving the poor. Maybe it's to love. Maybe it's to your academic work. Mm -hmm. So it's an importance to be earnest about something, your religion or your whatever, right? Your political party. Um, but there's also something very like um, something very ridiculous about being earnest from the perspective of the universe. Yes, everything you're doing is utterly pointless. Whether you want to be a great cook or do well in your exams, who cares from the perspective of infinity and eternity? Mm -hmm. Like when you look at the size of the universe. So Kierkegaard says the problem is like if you're too earnest, you become obtrusively kind of earnest. You take everything really seriously. You think you can know things. You think you're important, and that's bad. Or if you kind of lose yourself to the infinity of the universe and say, well, there's no point loving or working or giving myself over mm -hmm. to anything because nothing makes any sense. There's something very tragic to that. Kierkegaard says that one has to have, and he would call this faith, but one has to have a modality of being in which you can simultaneously be completely earnest and see the ridiculousness and the the transitory nature of everything. And if you're able to hold those two things simultaneously, and and, in, and if you're able to hold those two things simultaneously, like and testicles. You, yeah, like test two testicles, right? <laughs> they, but you find it suffering, that's tragedy. But if you're able to um, enjoy that contradiction, that's comedy. And so for him, there is a certain mode of being, a mode of life, mode of way of being that he's inviting us into, which can simultaneously hold those two things together. And I think whenever we talk, were talking the other night and you threw yourself into some subjects very seriously, mm -hmm. right? Without, I mean, you might mention them, I, I mentioned it, but like mm -hmm. a crazy su subject, you take it absolutely seriously, but yet you can also simultaneously <laughs> say, I don't think it's important at all. <laughs> and, and so that, whenever you said that the other night, I was like, oh, you would like Kierkegaard's reflections on comedy because that's kind of, it's almost like, like saying, for example, I'm going to be a cook and I'm going to, I want to open up a restaurant and I want to make it really good and I want to use great food and I want to do it really mm -hmm. well and I want to invite people who can't afford food to sometimes have a night in the restaurant to do something social for the community. And you do that. And at the same time, realizing that being a cook is not really of any value and helping a few people who can't afford to eat, eat, it doesn't really put any significance into how many are starving. In the grand scheme of In the grand of scheme everything. of things, and, and, and let alone the universe. Um, is like, but to be able to do both of those simultaneously, go, this is incredibly important. And also, I have to realize how... I'm an idiot. We're all idiots. We're all not, we're probably doing things wrong. Yeah. And holding them simultaneously is the Kierkegaardian night of faith. I knew I liked him for a reason. Uh, yeah, I do that. I do, I do do that. And it is, it is, uh, speaking of earnestness, it is truly annoying. I know it's annoying to some folks at times who I know uh, and friends and partners and stuff where it's like the taking something very seriously and then uh, and then just going, ah, you know, 
<laughs> is, uh, I think, annoying for other people because it com- actually comes off not earnest. It comes off like uh, disingenuous in some way. But no, it's uh, it's both. I think it's a nice balance. Yeah, it's very fun. Yeah, because because as Kierkegaard's point, he says like sometimes earnestness can be detached from from the kind of infinite perspective and that's when we start taking ourselves too seriously yeah. like my political views my religious views my this my that or I, I somehow absolutely the god's eye view of everything and and you take it once earnestness is divorced from jest he calls it jest then it becomes really bad yeah but jest whenever it's disconnected from earnestness when you know people who are just caught up in not taking anything seriously mm-hmm. there's this kind of relativistic what what uh, uh, I would call bulverism, but this kind of relativism. Um, that's there's something really annoying about that. But somehow Kierkegaard's always talking about how you can have them at the same time yeah. in the same moment, and there's a comedic dimension. Oh, can I say one other thing? Yeah, oh, yeah. No. Uh, okay, cool. Is the this is something that that McGowan says, and I think this is this is interesting because he wrote a book on jokes, uh-huh. and. He talks about the difference between what I'll call reactionary jokes and emancipatory jokes. Nice. So, yeah, it's really interesting. What he does. So, uh, reactionary jokes are jokes at which, and they can be very funny, but a joke in which you take the piss out of somebody out there, somebody mm-hmm. who's not you. Emancipatory jokes are kind of jokes in which everybody is in on it. Like we, we take the piss out of ourselves. Yeah. Or because, and I, I, I think. I mean, I, yeah, I, cause, yeah I, I don't know if Paul Tom McGowan would say this, but, but where I can take the piss out of you, mm-hmm. you can take the piss out of me, That we're, that's kind of the, the comedy that Kierkegaard is about, is that we're all caught up in the... We all have to have a bit of humility about us. But if the comedy is only at someone else's expense and we think we've got the answer, yep. there, there's an earnestness and a reactionary nature to that. Yeah, great yeah. stuff. That was uh, part of the my... I think shift in uh, standup was doing a lot of self-deprecating jokes and a lot of uh, jokes aimed at myself. And uh, that also gets old after a while yes. doing that over and over again, because it gets to a point where it's like, wait a minute. Uh, I think, okay. And uh, there's other targets besides just me, yes. but it is fun to write those jokes. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, and the bad part of it, that's a good point to add to that. Is if, if you do comedy, which is self-deprecating, to say your own your own community all the time that in itself i think comes under the eventually it comes under the the umbrella of reactionary because you are just turning you're kind of maybe saying other people are undivided Mm -hmm. but you're divided the whole point of emancipatory comedy is we're all divided no so it's not that the, the the undivided one is me or out the, mm-hmm. the community out there, which is Orientalism. But somehow, a comedy is where you're able to take the... Everyone's able to take the piss out of everything. Um, yeah, because this conversation started... Part of it was uh, based in synchronicity and then me trying to approach synchronicity from when things happen out in life that you get a kick out of. And it's very difficult to write on uh, humor in this type of situation because humor is so subjective. Um, but I like what Kierkegaard's saying there, kind of defining it by... I know you didn't say decentering, but that's kind of how I, that's like, yeah. okay. So mm. for example, um, 
the closing argument of the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, Amber Heard's lawyers are obviously the butts of jokes in, on the internet. There's, you know, the court of public opinion had already ruled in Johnny Depp's favor pretty early on. They get up to do their closing argument, and as they're doing it, an Amber Alert goes off, causing uh, everyone's phones in the courtroom to start but screeching at the same time. Mm -hmm. And the judge then <clears throat> says that's an Amber Alert for, while Amber Heard is trying to do her defense. I feel that that is a gift from the Lord, mm. that, there, that that was a, um, a little stork, that was a gift under the tree from Santa for everybody watching in that moment. Yeah. However, it would not be seen that way probably by Amber. Yes. Well, oh, and that, from, a, from the Kierkegaardian perspective, let's look at that. He would say that if you suffer that anomaly, that's tragedy. So some people would have experienced that in an annoying way. So that would be a tragic... Because, by the way, whenever Kierkegaard talks about tragedy and comedy, he's talking about them existentially, yeah. not aesthetically in terms of theater, but existentially. So existentially, that might have been a traumatic moment for Amber Heard. Uh, but for others, it was a comedic moment. But it could, because, but regardless, it was kind of one or the other because it was an event that was out of the norm, out of expectations, yeah. a novel event that um, that you know basically destabilizes you. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it is like a because um, you run the risk. I was reading a little bit of that that thing you sent me the uh, dissertation on this stuff about you know the the concern of if you talk about humor. Uh, it can like dissect the bird basically. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can, uh, it's things stop being funny, but I've not found that to be the case. And I was glad that the person, the writer of this thing mentioned that they're like, actually no. And if, if that does happen, if you start looking at humor and like a, or comedy in some sort of philosophical way and you lose your sense of humor, there's probably a good chance you didn't really have a sense of humor to, to begin with. Yes. And, yeah. Yeah. Very much. But I do think it's like a, a perspective. It's a mode of consciousness that you can take to the world. And it's like lens. It's a pair of lenses. It's not necessarily like a, just making fun of everything all the time or not taking things seriously. It's just recognizing when things happen that are just like, they just add a little joy, add a little joy. Even if yeah. you know that another person might take a very different, uh, you know, lens to it, I guess. Yeah. And then connecting the two. So like when Kierkegaard starts by talking about how comedy in general is like the Amber Alert that happens at the Amber Heard trial or these events that happen that are out of the norm. Somebody, I say, he turns up at a wedding wearing, a, a, you know, a Hawaiian shirt, um, which I think is an example from that paper. I should, we should give a shout out to whoever wrote that. I forget. There's a, there was a paper we were both reading about, um, yeah, Kierkegaard and comedy, which is very good, find on the internet. I thought you were gonna. Um, I thought you were gonna bring up the Britney Spears's ex-husband who crashed her wedding and had to be escorted by. Oh, is that right? Security and I think got arrested. It's by Will Williams. Will Williams. PhD. Thanks, Will. Well, yeah, and yeah, it's his PhD dissertation, and it's online. Hey, so, Will Williams. That's too many Wills. Yeah. What's your middle name? <laughs> Williamson. Will Williamson Williams. Williams. See, yeah. we're killing it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, so, um, oh yeah, what was I saying? Oh, um, yeah, the, there is the, Kiergaard starts with that, like, these are things that happen in life that are just anomalies that are kind of like comedic and it doesn't mean laugh out loud or anything. It's just something's out of place. Something weird happens that, you know, yeah. jarring. But then the way he connects it then to say, but comedy is also ontological. It's also part of reality itself that there's something comedic not just that it happens in everyday life, but 
whenever, but there's something about to be human is to take things absolutely seriously, to have care and concern for the world, Heidegger would say, and also simultaneously to understand the our finitude, our limits. Yeah. And, and Pascal was brilliant in this because Pascal basically said, our reason makes basically makes us gods. Like our reason we can is like this incredible ability to 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 know things, truth, like you know, triangles have three sides or whatever, like things that are real. And yet we triangles can triangles don't exist. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's a conspiracy. Yeah. yeah that's a that, good, but yeah. you know technically they don't exist. Well that's true. That technically that's a it's a concept. Yeah. But that's the truth. That's a tr- truth like hilarious. Well, yeah. Yeah, all oh, the platonic forms. The, the yeah, what what exi- There's no circles in reality. Yeah. The only circle is in your mind. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. Um, but then, um, oh yeah, oh. But then, yes. a drop of water can kill you. That that humans can be destroyed in the simplest of ways. So so Pascal had this in Pensee, this beautiful, again way of almost catching the comedy of life. Like yeah. it's not comedy as not funny because that's not funny. We can die from a drop of water, but there's something comedically interesting that we have this you know beautiful power and we can take things seriously and give ourselves to an ultimate concern to yep. something and at the same time uh see how pointless everything is right yeah laugh still yeah. it reminds me of um the schrodinger's cat thing you know yeah. and it's a state of suspension until you look at it and then it takes a certain form or particle or wave or whatever it is and uh also just the yeah the the attention you give something can affect the thing on a quantum level and i think if you go through life and the attention you give it is one that is open to both being very earnest and engaged with life but also being able to step back and go (laughs) this is so stupid yeah Uh, then that's nice and it changes it, it makes life itself seem i think a little bit more uh, better and healthier. You know, yeah, here's another thing too. We, everyone, I don't know if you know this or not. There's a lot of people that are depressed. Have you heard of this? Mm. Seriously? Yeah. And there's a lot, there's a whole <laughs> industry built on no trying way. to get people to not be depressed. I've wow. looked into it. It's wild. And they'll pay money and they'll, you know, um, <clears> sometimes <throat> they'll even, they'll take, the, it's crazy. Wow. They'll talk wow. about their problems. It's like, well, I don't know why you would do it. But uh, there is so much, I, I think, emphasis on <clears throat> just diminishing or reducing the depression rather than amplifying uh, the happy stuff a little bit. And it's like, it's so, because that's what you do in medicine. The majority of time in medicine is you are trying to fix an illness of some kind or or fix a problem that is defective. But then there's this other world in which the defectiveness and the decentering and the not at oneness, as you would say, is a good, it's night, it adds something to life. But it is, you have to, that I think only goes so far unless you're actually, you know, it's not like I'm not saying that's a fix for it. I, in fact, I think it's it's less about fixing depression as it is about building up this sort of like ability to see things yes. and hold things. It's fun. Yeah, that's. I mean, Kierkegaard's. I mean, his definition of anxiety was precisely, in a way, our the dizziness of freedom, the the sense in which we live in these kinds of contradictions. And so, in analysis, one of the things. They do, you know, an analyst will do with somebody who's melancholic is not try to make them happy, not try to get rid of their depression, but will listen, will listen and listen and listen and t- and t- uh, to find the little moment yeah. where there is a spark of desire for life. 
So the melancholic you'll feel like no real desire for life, feel completely, almost completely dead inside. So they're walking dead, they're alive physically, but they feel dead mm-hmm. and they're fixated and stuck and, and, and there's very little spark, but you'll always find it when you listen, when you listen, when you listen, when you listen, you'll find some spark and then all you do is attempt to allow that spark to breathe. When you say spark, you mean like something that you see the the zest for life, a little something? Yeah, a little something. Like like Viktor Frankl, he once said, like his, his question to people in analysis was like, why have you not killed yourself? Yeah, yeah. Um, and the reason for him asking that was to say, well, there's a reason why something's keeping you alive. Something, something's got you here. Something, and we, you probably don't even know what it is. You probably don't feel it. Um, Jameson Webster did a great talk on this in, at Wake, and she talked about Alexander McQueen, who was melancholic, and Sylvia Plath, uh, both people who killed themselves. But she was talking about like what could you, what could one do? And she was, you know, through looking at their Sylvia Plath's poetry and some of Al, uh, Alexander McQueen's art and fashion, kind of like isolating. We were isolating the points where there was a spark of desire for the world and enjoyment for mm-hmm. the world something to and that's kind of what with a melancholic you're trying to give the, you know, kind of like fan that yeah. little bit and it's very dangerous because when the melancholic feels a lust for life for a second they can often react against it and it can often throw them even further back so it's <laughs> a very dangerous yeah right? i can't remember what we're talking about but it's, it, it does connect with this um well, there's oh yeah, oh yeah, because yeah. Anyway, go ahead. No, after you, after you have the more. Oh, yeah, I was just going to connect it with this notion that you kind of find the earnestness, the thing that the person lives for, something yeah. that they're concerned about, um, in the midst of feeling completely like nothing makes sense. Like you're kind of almost trying to invite the person into faith, what Kierkegaard would call faith, which is into a life where you find something of ultimate concern mm-hmm. that you will live and die for while simultaneously still acknowledging what the melancholic knows, which is, you know, life from a certain perspective. Life's um, a bitch. It's a bitch and meaningless, you know, so it's utterly meaningful and utterly meaningless at the same time. Yes. Yeah. And how do, how do we hold that? And tragedy is when we, we suffer under it, and comedy is when we find pleasure in it. Yeah, and I don't buy into that whole thing of uh, you got to be depressed to be a funny person or you got to be depressed to be an artist yeah but, i mean um, look at you you're very depressed and uh, fucking never make me laugh or make art yeah i've yes. never made a single yeah. artistic <laughs> thing uh but yeah it's well like, how's your pottery going in light of that actually have you you were doing some pottery i almost got a bowl going oh yeah, right nice yeah. uh, i'm pretty impressed by if it. if everything else doesn't work out you can go into pottery yes everyone yeah. gets partial bowls nice um i uh yeah i need to keep doing it it's just uh it's so hot right now uh, it's in the garage. Yeah. Oh, so you're doing, you have you bought the thing and you're oh yeah 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 because yeah, yeah. yeah. my friend Phil Harrison um he does it he does really? great stuff in Belfast now he got into it and yeah it took him I guess six months or so or more but eventually he started creating beautiful cool. pieces you know yeah it um the first like part is pretty simple because you can you can learn how to make a bowl relatively quickly yeah um but then when it starts getting above that it takes a really from what I understand a really long time but um. Yeah, it's definitely not something that I've yet clicked with, you know, when you're yeah. doing like a new hobby and you're like, I get it, I love it, I'm into it. Um, for me, that's just a lot of schoolwork and reading and I love doing that. And yeah. that isn't, that goes back to that earnest kind of uh, earnestness, which always, anytime you say that word, I think of Ernest goes to jail or whatever the 
the old guy. Do you know Ernest? Did you ever see those? Back I think day? I saw one. Was there a series of these films? Ernest. Yeah, Ernest goes to Ernest goes Ernest's whatever. I don't know if I've seen them, but I've heard of them. I recall them being hilarious, but I need to go back and see if they're if they hold up. But um, yeah. anyway, yeah. yeah, that kind of earnestness is absolutely uh, delightful. It's uh, it's the. Yeah, it's, it, you can go through life and have it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I lost my thoughts. Yeah. No, I'm, I, I'm, I had a couple of thoughts. Now, one is the thing about pottery, by the way, is it's it's you're creating a void, which is really interesting. So there's empty space, but then you take, you make a kind of wall around the empty space, and then you create a kind of, uh, you, you give empty space a shape. Then there's something That's really interesting funny. in that. That would be what you, that would be your take on it. Because yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, uh, it's like, oh, you're making circles, which is just a wholeness, yeah. a symbol for wholeness. Oh, yeah. Whereas I'm going, no, you're making like, the no, void. No, it's empty. It's you're empty. Giving, yeah, giving shape to the <laughs> void, which, you know, captures this notion of like, we all, you know, briefly shape the void. Um, but this is also why Kierkegaard wrote Fear and Trembling. Whereas in Fear and Trembling, the whole, I think, the key to that book, a uh, very interesting little book, but is he really was interested in Abraham and Isaac because Abraham basically completely commits to killing his son and also completely believes that he'll get his son back. Um, so kind of holds to mutually contradictory ideas. He thought he was going to get his son back like af- yeah. in the afterlife or something? Well, so there was a promise before that he would, um, his kids there he would be the father of many nations and all this stuff so i think there was a certain sense in which like the son was like he was in, in total faith that he was going to yeah. lose his son but weirdly going to retain his son and Kierkegaard does these really interesting reflections about how hard that is to philosophically understand but that 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 notion of holding contradictory ideas mm-hmm. is something fundamentals of being human and then in the concluding unscientific uh, postscript he's basically saying and that is comedy that's comedic yeah. and of course that's how he connects it to Christianity because he says Christianity is a modality of being in which you embrace contradiction so he says Christianity is a joke it sounds similar to but different from uh, Jung's answer to Job have you read that? Mm. Well, I think I did read it actually because it's a short piece. Yeah, and, yeah short, it's very, very interesting. Really interesting, but a similar idea, not in related to comedy, but in um, reading it as sort of uh, God basically kind of being a jerk and yeah. uh, needing Joan, needing uh, Job to see him to see himself as um, not not the nicest. Yeah, I think like that's a very radical reading. Someone like uh, G.K. Chesterton did something similar. I think yeah. that's the right reading of it. Is that you see God as as a bit of an idiot, you yeah. know, as divided. Yeah, and uh, and needing the human subject oh, to yeah. kind of uh, very fun. But uh, I read about this term that I wanted to tell you about because I thought it was a cool term, and you probably know what it is. Have you heard of the criterion of embarrassment? No, this is great. It's really cool. It's this idea in New Testament scholarship, scholarliness. Um, (laughs) Scholarliness. You know, you figure out the word. Um, Where criterion of... The criterion of embarrassment. Embarrassment. I love that. Okay. Uh, But it basically says that if you want to be able to differentiate between what is 
what was said by Jesus, the historical Jesus, versus oh, perhaps what was right. later added, then you can use the criterion of embarrassment, where if oh, what he said yeah, would yeah. be causing a problem to Christian orthodoxy, it likely came from uh, the historical Jesus. Otherwise, why oh, would they yes, put it yes. in there? Yeah, no, I have That's a different term fun. for that. But yeah, I know that, ter- yeah, I know that, that idea. It's very interesting, because Luther was very into as well. It's like almost like the more unlikely it was, yeah. the more comedic, the more strange then the more likelihood it was said, but yeah. yeah, precisely because it wouldn't have been written down, uh, right? You know, because yeah, it would uh, yeah. So that's very good. It's a good criterion. Yeah, it was in yeah. the context of like I think one of the examples was hey, the miracle of he- healing the blind man uh, with the stuff on his eyes. I guess. Oh yeah, mother, and yeah. then also uh, calling um, for castration to enter the kingdom of heaven. And, oh yeah, that, which I don't know if that's really what he was saying or not. I don't understand that but um stuff where it's that he weird stuff that he said yeah that whenever people wouldn't be motivated to put it in you have to take it oops. almost more seriously right because yeah because you know if it's if there's a motivation for people to put something in then there's always a possibility that yeah they uh, they did that yeah so it's, a, it's a very interesting criterion <laughs> i just like the title criterion of embarrassment yeah, that's very good i'm gonna log that away <laughs> in a long-term memory um oh. and then this whole idea of the Kierkegaardian uh humor and all this stuff he yeah. that also you see this a lot I, I think it actually is less common than the stereotype would suggest but you see the um the comedic mindset and this was in that paper by will willie williamson mm-hmm. uh where it's like the comedic mindset is often offended by the religious mindset uh, because they yeah. see that it as being too rigid, too serious, too tragic, whereas the religious mindset is threatened by the comedic mindset, which uh, always comes to disrupt and not take seriously very important matters. Yeah, yes. So but yeah. apparently Kierkegaard's thing is both of them essentially work together within Christianity. Yeah, so he, uh, he takes religiosity uh, mostly in a positive, like in an existential sense, where he's talking about, yeah, that, that religiosity at its most authentic. Let's say authentic religiosity is the combination, yes, of earnestness and jest. And he argues, yeah, that the, the central kind of notion of Christianity is living that contradiction yeah. between the finite and the infinite. So, the, and it, what's beautiful is even actually you look in the early days where, like, whenever early Christians were told, to um, you know, pay homage to the gods, the Roman gods. They didn't. They refused, even to the point of death. Now the irony was, no, the Romans didn't believe in the gods either. So that at the time it was like, listen, just pretend that you, you know, that you, you know, give your sacrifice to the gods. No one believes in them. Just like, do just yeah. do it. You know, why would you die? Why would you get eaten by lions? for something as ridiculous as we know you don't believe in the gods. No one believes in the gods, except for idiots, right? So just just pretend, and they would go, no. And for Kierkegaard, there's something inherently comedic about yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> because because you are, and I love this, and I won't give examples because it's too political, <laughs> contemporary, but whenever you find someone who will give themselves to a position that other people think is idiotic and they will potentially lose their lives for that commitment, whether you agree mm-hmm. with them or not, he, there's something in which that person has taken a tiny thing and made it the fulcrum of their existence. Yeah. And if they can simultaneously see how ridiculous that is and still say, but here I stand, um, 
That's it, someone who is at least very much engaging with life in an incredibly weird way, but yes. they're really going yeah. for it. And you, and <laughs> like you really yeah. believe in stuff. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, and potentially when you look at all the radicals in history, people who have really changed history, there's something about you go like, you know, they they took a stand on something that weirdly, here's one thing, they often take a stand on something that everybody knows or everyone agrees with, but no, everyone pays lip service to you, but they go, no, I am not paying lip service to it. I'm standing or falling. Yeah. And, and, they, and you're going like, you're going to lose your whole life for this. You're going to destroy your reputation, mm -hmm. this, that. Yep. Those are the people who change things, sometimes for the worse, sometimes for the better. But it's an incredible way to live. And Kierkegaard's always about living intensely yeah Inten like it's intense form of the mo modality of life yeah you engage yeah. with life and yes don't just sit back and let it happen to you yeah and that's why he talks about truth is subjective as well because it's like it's not you truth is something objective that you look at it's a form of subjectively bringing together jest and earnestness in your body <laughs> and being able to somehow bear the yoke the weight of that yoke yeah. Yeah. And that's what makes you an individual. It's nice. Makes you, yeah. yeah. I like that a lot. Should make this podcast probably funnier though. <laughs> that's, uh, no, I have no desire. I don't like, I don't like the, the for, yeah, it's, you have to make jokes since you're talking about humor. I was doing, um, speaking of funny, I, uh, I have a wonderful partner who do, doesn't know really anything about the Bible, has never mm. had any, uh, exposure to it, mm. to, uh, and it, you want to have a fun, you want to learn how much you know about the Bible or how much you don't know about the Bible. Just get asked questions by somebody who's absolutely like completely yeah. just, I was like, she was like, hold on. So there's, she was like, there's an old Testament and a new Testament. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, uh, yeah, baby. Yeah. There's two, there's two Testaments. <laughs> She's like, but the, the, the tour, the Jew, the Jewish Bible, is it a, nope, it's not the Bible. That's also in there. Yes. Why? I don't know. <laughs> you know I yeah. kind of decided I wasn't invited to the meeting. Yeah, yes, you weren't. You weren't called into that meeting. Yeah, and then I was like, "There's other books too. The, the, there's the Gnostic uh, Gospels as well. And they, those came a little later, and uh, and they're, they didn't make the can. It's called being canonized. They didn't make it in. She's like, "Why? I'm like, I don't, I don't know." <laughs> I'm sure, they have their reasons. <laughs> it was like she's like, so it's just different. Who wrote it? I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, well, different people wrote it throughout, and uh, and then they compiled it all together, and mm. then it changed. Please stop asking me questions. Please. <laughs> now I'm realizing I don't know how to. I was like, you can think of it like a library. It's like you you go into a library. You don't expect every book to be written by the same uh, person or be in the, even in the same genre sometimes. So you know, she's like, wow, okay. How many how many books are there? I sixty something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> How many are there? Do you know? Sixty six. I think sixty six. Yeah. yeah. And more, a few more in the apocrypha. Yeah. And outside of it, but then my brain would flip over into something, and I'd start answering a question. And then I'd realize I could talk about it for like fifteen minutes. Oh yeah, I'm and sure there's lots of stuff in there. I was like, well, there's Genesis, and then I was able to just list basically the entire mm. like Old Testament uh, books, and uh, very very wild. <laughs> I was like. Don't even get me started on Leviticus, babe. That's Did you bring out your felt board and do the little felt characters? Did you ever? Oh man, yeah. Whoa, what a blast! That's that's <laughs> yeah. Speaking of memories that you're you're bringing out, yeah, yeah. Those were always so. Uh, I always just want to touch them. Very tactile. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. 
Well, yeah, that's any any closing comments, thoughts. What's your, what's our takeaways on? I didn't know Kierkegaard just talked about this stuff so specifically because I thought I was having some original thoughts about the humor being baked into the the you know, and I think you also see it just in. Uh, I mean, because I'm on this kick right now with all the the kind of quantum stuff and. Uh, as much as anyone can understand it who isn't in that field. I don't even think the people in the field can understand it, but uh, there's things like that too that I think are just inherently very funny. Like the, the, the fact that if you get down to an atomic level, which is what everything is made of, nothing is touching and there's no matter there. It's just probability and energy swirling around. There's no hard building block of life. Everything is just... Yeah. And then yet... I can clap my hands and they don't mold into each other yeah. or pass through each other. What's going on? What's going on there? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, Kierkegaard very much, he obviously writing before the kind of modern physics, but like dial, the dialectics of Hegel and Kierkegaard thought he was against Hegel, but so different dialectics, but the work of Hegel and Kierkegaard really fits with, um, with modern physics. Like it's, so cool. it's, it's a philosophy that, Blends well, and Shizak has written very well on it. There's a book, Less Than Nothing, that oh, he's really? got. Yeah, that looks at quantum mechanics in relation to some of these Kierkegaardian and Hegelian cool. ideas, and they 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 fit very well together. Yeah. Kierkegaard, you know, you could take Kierkegaardian look on that and say, of course, the, like he he did say, right right at the core of the universe, you will find a contradiction. Yeah. You will find these kind of contradictions, which say uh, modern physics and modern biology. Um, uh, modern psychoanalysis have uh, all found in all, their different all different frameworks that show the same thing yeah. and it's very fun uh, I mean there's matter but there's not matter mm -hmm. what's that that's yeah. a pun that's funny okay yeah. uh, and also kind of mind bending which is if you try to think about it real hard you get a little bit of a headache so, yeah yeah um, yeah that's what would be my closing thoughts mm -hmm. I can't wait to read more about this um, from this guy and then also kind of flip through the few Kierkegaard books that I have yeah, yeah. No, I just when we were talking, because and the thing that the thing that I was wondering is because you were talking about you were I was asking you about synchronicity, and we were talking about that. And I thought, in some respects, there might be a way of blending the two. So, you know, sometimes I think the standard reading of synchronicity, which is not you know, it's not my kind of field, but is um, sometimes people read it as kind of like. Uh, showing that there's you know, people make meaning out of it yes right? but if you have a Kierkegaard if you kind of look at it more in terms of Kierkegaard's understanding of comedy you might more say certain events happen in life that are unusual out of the ordinary uh they're they're kind of contradictory to what you're going to imagine and expect and those things don't so much tell you that everything is meaningful but more kind of remind you that, that there's novelty and strangeness and don't take yourself too seriously. It's almost like, you know, it's like, yes, take yourself seriously, give yourself to something and somehow simultaneously also say, but we're all Laurel and Hardy. We're all like in yeah. the office. We're all uh, the comedy. We're like, we're all idiots. Yeah. But, you know, and somehow hold the two. And synchronicities, maybe, maybe there's a way to interpret synchronicity in light of Kierkegaard's yeah, notion of the comedic. That's what I want you to write a paper on. Hmm? That's what I want you to write a paper on. Maybe one day, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I mean, this one won't be quite that direction, but uh, the, you, we've talked about the classic story of synchronicity with Jung and the patient, correct? Oh, yeah, with the uh, bug. The scare beetle. Yeah. Uh, I was, like, leaving the house today, and I was like, okay. I was like, I'm going to 
uh, do this. I'm going to go do this. Uh, I'm going to write this paper on, do this podcast and then write this paper on synchronicity. And then I left my door. There were three dead scarab beetles out, right on my front, right outside the door. And I thought it was funny that they were dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they really were because those beetles, did they, did they, are they in L.A.? Uh, be there's, some, there's a <laughs> relative scarab. Uh, yeah, there's a version. Of Otherwise, I'd be saying I'd be calling the police. I think someone's taking Egyptian bugs and just yeah. placed them at dead ones at your it wasn't, door. They weren't gold, I can tell yeah, you that. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> they were. They looked pretty. Like uh, I don't know what they were trying to do, but that's the whole story. Is the scarab beetles trying to get in the window to the if you're not familiar the patient had a dream about a scarab beetle. Uh, when she's relaying it, a scarab beetle appears behind the window. Jung grabs it and says, here's your beetle, and it causes her to have this transformative experience. Uh, and so I just think it's funny that they were trying to get in. They were also trying to get into uh, my living room, but yeah. then they died because I wasn't there to see it. <laughs> and here's a thought on that, okay? Here's a thought, because, you know, that's a weird st story of Jung's. That's an interesting story. But I, I go, like, actually, it kind of makes sense. Whenever something really happens like that, something yeah. that, you, that you cannot help but go whatever the, the statistics he's like well, yeah exactly <laughs> um it, it i think if you take a kierkegaardian and look at it you can simultaneously go i can't help taking that absolutely seriously as saying something and simultaneously going it's a coincidence yep. it means nothing you can do and both you can do both and and it, you, if you suffer under that you're living in a tragic modality mm -hmm. and if you're able to have gain pleasure from that experience of simultaneously finding meaning in something and also going that's yeah, meaningless um then again it's you're touching on the comedic dimension that is reality itself yep and if you go into uh the other end where you take everything as a synchronicity and everything super seriously and everything is super meaningful and you're looking always on the outside for what to do then that's not good either Oh yeah, God, no, that, that's it. Like, that can lead you yeah. down a cuckoo yeah. for cocoa puff territory. And that's that was Kierkegaard's. That's Kierkegaard's critique of religion and its worst form is is earnestness, complete earnestness. And we can say political religions today or economic religions is when you completely think it, it's you know you've got it and it's meaningful and you've got the answer. Like you're losing the the perspective of eternity, and it's really dangerous mm -hmm. and really damaging. So yeah, you've yep. got to like. That's and I love that Kierkegaard's not a mediation guy. He doesn't say he's dialectician, so it's about extremes. He's not saying, well, you have to go a blend of going like, you know, mm -hmm. it's a little bit of meaning and a little bit of meaninglessness, or we're not sure. No, it's it's both simultaneously. That's that's a Kierkegaardian dialectic yeah. is that reality is not some middle road, not some kind of hole, but rather a radical asymmetry. Yeah, I think it, that's a good clarification because people hear that and they go. I have to do this, but I also have to do it this. Yeah, but it's not. It's both. Yes, it's, yeah, it's not kind of finding a middle way. It's not kind of blending the two. It's not agnosticism. It's like atheism and theism, not agnosticism. It's like it's like taking extreme yeah. positions that simultaneously enrich and critique each other. Like um, they bounce, like sparks. Yes, but yeah, that's iron. It. And it's very hard to philosophically understand. It that's why it takes years to understand dialectics because it's a. It's very hard to make rational sense of it, but it is possible to do. And Kierkegaard is one of the think greatest thinkers. He's one of yeah. the thinkers he, who makes sense of contradiction. Well, great. I'll put some of I'll put a quote of his in the paper, and uh, if I get a bad grade, I'll blame you. But very good. And do, do you think we'll upload this one? I think it, so. Because we either don't record them, as we were saying the other night, or we do record with them. Two and things we, we need to do. Don't bother to upload them. Yep. <laughs> 
So one is going to go, it's just me and Pete talking. It's going to go on the Patreon at patreon.com slash fundamentalist. You can check that out. Uh, and this one will go up for the masses. Brilliant. Maybe Wonderful. even on Sunday. Oh, my goodness. That would be imagine? amazing. Let's see. Great. You'll All know right. before we do, guys. Bye. Thanks, and thanks, Katie. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Katie.